When he says not from around here, he means really not from around here, okay? So it won't take you long to figure that out, but I do appreciate the great privilege to be here. And uh, I'm not just saying that. What a blessing it is to be in the service today. And you can open your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, and we're going to turn to several places in the day, but you can start there in 1 Peter. And uh, I'm privileged to be here uh, all weekend. And then, um, as I said to them the other night, I've been to Canada one other time, but just uh, really just to cross the border and see the Niagara Falls and then to go back. So this is the first opportunity to be here for any length of time. And uh, by the way, if this is your weather all the time, well done. Uh, I, I brought a, a bigger coat thinking, I'm, no, I'm going way up north. It's going to be freezing. It's been beautiful here. Maybe I brought it. Probably not, probably not, but it was a blessing while I've been here, and uh, the services have been magnificent. The music is so wonderful. I hope that those of you that go to church here don't take for granted the music ministry of this place, and that's how I met this church, as the ensemble would sing at Brother Clark's Summit meeting in New Jersey. I was able to hear them there a couple times, always blessed by the, the ensemble singing, so I've been looking forward to it and is not disappointed. What a spirit of worship this morning, and I appreciate all of the music, all of the work throughout the weekend for the different services, and uh, I have learned to appreciate and love the food, praise God. Uh, I don't know if all of Canada is like this, but the food right here is wonderful. Uh, Swiss chalet the first day, right? And then we had roast here that night, and then uh, I've been to uh, Port something. Where did I go? Port Dover and had fish, and Brother Joey about overdosed on the bread that they have. I thought we were going to have to do some chest compressions. He just kept eating the bread. And, uh, and then uh, last night had some Italian food somewhere right near here. And uh, Brother Kevin and Miss Joanne took me. It was only just a few minutes away from the hotel, but it took us 40 minutes to get there. We'll talk about that later. And, uh, but a great, great time of eating. I've gained weight. Looking forward to eating again today. So I know, I know it's going to be lunchtime here before long. So if you'll give me your attention, we'll go quickly to try and get us freed out for lunch. And so I do appreciate all all of the privilege and the honor and what a blessing for 90 years. Uh, preached a little bit about that uh, on Friday night about how the Lord has allowed this place to see and hear so many wonderful things. And today uh, I, I don't really have a message for that event. I just have a message today. And I want you to focus in on it for a few minutes and let the Lord hopefully speak to you, encourage you, and help us from His Word. And uh, so stay with me. I'm going to jump around to a couple of places and then we'll get settled on the thought here in just a minute. First Peter chapter 5, and many of you, this will be a very familiar verse, verse 8, where the Bible said, First Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask you to use me this morning to be a blessing to this church. They've already been a blessing to me, not only today, but throughout the weekend and even before this, Lord, and hearing them sing and uh, Lord, just uh, their influence in different places in music and such. And Lord, I thank you for it. And I pray that you would return the favor, that you would remove all that is flesh and that is, uh, Lord, uh, self and pride. Get it all out of me, Lord. Help me to not try and impress any person in this room, but only to please you. Lord, I know if I can please you, then it'll be a help to your people. And I pray you'd do that today. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... 
I want to take a few minutes this morning and, and address the fact that, you know, we have regularly in our church and in this church, obviously, and even this morning, uh, this morning we have taken a special time to rejoice and praise about the wonderful fact that there is a real living God sitting on the throne of the universe. Say amen right there. Aren't you glad that that's not make-believe, that we know there is a living God that rules and reigns on the throne of this universe? Here's what we know. We know that he is the one true and living God. Well, I know that there are many other, we call them little G gods throughout the Bible, even other nations would worship other gods and they would have a little G. But every time it talks about the God of heaven, there's a capital G on it. He is the one true and living God. You know, David wrote a little bit about that. I don't want you to turn there, uh, but I'm gonna read to you out of Psalm 115 very quickly where David was talking about that. He said, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and thy truth's sake. Listen, he said, wherefore should the heathen say, where now is their God. Listen to what he says about our God. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Now listen, he says, talking about their idols, the, the false idols that they worship. He said, they have mouths, but they speak not. Now can we just stop and say, thank God that we have a God that can speak to us. Haven't you had the Lord speak to you from his word and, and through the music, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of every born again believer, it ministers to us and God speaks to us. We thank God that he has a mouth and is able to speak. He said that they're idols. They have ears, have they, but they, uh, excuse me, eyes have they, but they see not. Aren't we thankful that we know the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good? How many times in your life has something come up and nobody knew about it and then all of a sudden somehow God sends an answer? Maybe a, a Christian gives you a note or hands you a little money or, 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 or tells you that they're praying and they didn't have any idea what you were going through and in that moment you remembered again that God sees you out of all these billions of people. Our God has the ability to single in on all of his children. Hey listen, in, in the story, story of, of Egypt, when, when God was sending those plagues on Egypt, he sent those flies, no doubt millions upon millions of flies. And then Pharaoh says, if you'll ask your God to get rid of these flies and I'll let your people go. We know, of course, he, he, he lied. He changed his mind. But when he said that, Moses went out and prayed and God said, all right, I'll remove them. There's an interesting phrase in that story. You know what it says? When God removed all those flies, it says, there remained not one. Now, how about that? Millions. Don't you believe there's probably at least one fly in Egypt before the plague even started? How many of you shake your head if you believe there's probably, I mean, I don't think it's the first time they ever saw flies. You say, why would God chase them all out? Well, I think he didn't want anybody to be able to say he didn't keep his word. And when he said, I'm going to get rid of the flies, he singled out the very last one and had to get it out of Egypt. You know what that means? That means that great big God of the universe who is so big that the earth is his footstool, he's also able to zero in in on the tiniest of details when he needs to. And I'm thankful for that because out of the seven billion people in this world, I am irrelevant. Out of the great Christians in this world, I'm not one of them, but I'm thankful. Hey, as you were preaching this morning, Brother Austin, that we're not worthy of him to love us. I'm not worthy that he would look upon me, but I am thankful that I have a living God on the throne and that he has eyes and that he can see what's going on in my life. David said they have ears, talking about those, those idols, he said, but they hear not. And aren't you glad God hears you? Oh my goodness, what would it be like to live as a Christian and not know that we could pray and that when we pray, God hears our prayer. 
the preacher talking today about praying for our political leaders. And thank you, sister, for your stand. And, uh, but what a blessing that we know when we're praying, we're not just going through some, uh, you know, unimportant motion, but we know there's a true and a living God in heaven that hears us when we pray. And he said they have hands, but they handle not. I thought how appropriate for this introductory thought here. The first song you sang about, he has not lost his touch. I was looking at this lesson, this verse right here, and I thought, uh, what a blessing it is to know that God has touched our lives. We can see the hand of God at work in our lives. My dad was a, a drunkard for 25 years, but about 20 years ago, you know what God did? God touched his life, and he changed him. And this morning in the hills of Kentucky, unless he's very sick, he'll be in his church, in his place, doing his part. You know why? Because there's a real God in heaven, and he touched my dad after all them years of us praying at the end of that chapter, David says this, we will bless the Lord from this time and forth and forevermore praise the Lord. And so we rejoice regularly and we have this morning about the truth of a true and living God that sits on the throne of the universe. But what we must also then admit and consider, because you know where we learn about the true and living God? We learn about him from the word of God. And if we're going to understand the, the existence of a true and living God, then here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we must at least admit and consider there is a real and living working devil. Now, I don't like to talk about him too awful much. I, I'd rather keep our focus and eyes on the Lord. But you know, in the book of Corinthians, Paul writes this. He says that if we are ignorant of the devil's devices, it said that he would have an advantage of us. And so just for a minute this morning, uh, uh, I want to share a few thoughts that I put together uh, over the last a little bit. I heard uh, uh, Abdel Judah, which is a youth pastor at Miss Rebecca's church. I heard him in a meeting that we have. We have an Impact Youth Workers Conference, and he came. And in that meeting, he just made a statement uh, out of one of these texts that we're going to look at. And the Lord captivated my heart. You preachers don't know what I'm talking about. He was preaching something else, but he made a statement, and it captivated my heart. And I began to ponder on it. And from that, the Lord has given me the thoughts for this message. So I just want to say a couple of things as we build toward the end. We'll talk a little bit about the devil. We'll get back to the Lord right at the end. First of all, let me just say this. You need to know about Satan, that he is real and what he is. Look at John chapter 8 very quickly. I want to tell you what he is. First of all, the devil is a liar. That's what he is. John chapter 8, verse 44. The Bible said, "Ye, Jesus said, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh, speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. When you're thinking about the real living devil in this world, you need to understand, first of all, that he is a liar. It's just what he is. Now, we say God is love because that's what he is. And we can say God is holy because that's what he is. And God is good. That's what he is. Hey, when you're thinking about the other side, you need to just start it with he is a liar. That's what he does. Everything that he says is either a lie or it's meant to be a part of a deception. Furthermore, every person that lies, uh, the lie that comes out of them was originated in him. He is the father of them. He uttered the first lie in the Garden of Eden. And one Bible teacher said it this way. He said, all the falsehood in the world owes its existence to him. Thessalonians tells us that one of these days the Antichrist will appear. And he describes the Antichrist in this way. Whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. You know what he is? He is a liar. Number two, what he does. Turn over a couple of pages to John chapter 10. I'm going quickly to get to where we want to be. John chapter 10. 
what he does. In John chapter 10, Jesus again talking about the devil. And he says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Well, I like the last part of this. Jesus says, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Aren't you thankful Jesus gives life? Not only eternal life, he gives us the blessed life in this world. And so here he's talking about the devil and he starts by saying, here's what he does. He comes to steal and he comes to uh, kill and he comes to destroy. Now think on that. Think on that. That's, that's what he does. Now down through the years in, in our country, there have been some people, I'm thinking in my mind right now of some, some rock and roll groups from way back in the 60s and 70s and they came out publicly and they came out and said, we made a deal with the devil. That's what they'd say. They would say, he promised us that we would be rich and famous if we would do this or that. Now, I don't know if they really made a deal or not, but I know this. If Satan ever makes a deal with anybody, it's never meant for their good. You know why? Because he's a liar, the Bible says. And you know why else? Because God said that's not what he's come for. So listen, even any, we know the Bible teaches that some can enjoy pleasure and sin for a season. And even when Satan allows a measure, a bit of pleasure for a season, you need to understand something. That's not really why he's wanting you to go through that. He's trying to get to the place where he can take from your life because he's a stealer, he's a thief. And he's trying to get to the place that he can devour your life and ultimately destroy your your life. That's what he's come for. Remember when he was talking to Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know what he said to her? He said, if you eat that fruit, quote, your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. By the way, their eyes were opened. And they did know good and evil. They knew that they were sinners. But boy, you know what it ultimately led to in their life? Nothing good. It led to destruction. It led to death. It led to the fact that we're all sinners when we're born because Satan was able to deceive because that's what he does. Everything he does, he's a liar. He comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And let me talk to you about this for just a few minutes. Look at Luke chapter 4. I want to talk to you about how he does it. How does he do it? Have you ever looked at a life that's just been ravaged by some sin, some uh, horrible decisions that they've made? And we look and with, with a broken heart, you just almost think sometimes, how, how did this happen? How did they get from maybe where they were? And perhaps they were born into a, a Christian family. Maybe they did grow up in church, as we've heard testimony this morning, only later to make poor decisions and, and find themselves ravaged in this life, suffering, struggling. And we'll look at it sometime. We'll think, Lord, I know it could be me, but thank God right now it's not. But I just think, Lord, how? How does that happen? Well, we need to understand how he works. How does he do it? And here we see in Luke chapter 4, let's read a couple of verses here. The Bible said, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed, him unto, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. We'll stop reading there. For time's sake, many of you know that he goes on and, and he offers two more, uh, more temptations to the Lord there. Three times Satan tempts him in this text. And, and we learn some things about how. Excuse me, how Satan functions when we study this text. First of all, I want you to see that he is strategic in his timing. 
When Satan comes to try to wreck a life, he, he is not just haphazardly running around. He comes strategic in his timing. He comes here to the Lord when the Lord has physically fasted for 40 days and in that earthly part of his body, he was hungry and no doubt there was a, a measure of weakness in the flesh. Satan comes strategically in those times. And boy, we understand that, that in our lives, that Satan will often come when we are weak and Satan will often come when we find ourselves alone. We preach to young people and we'll tell them, hey, stay with the group, stay with that youth group, stay with that group of Christian young people because if Satan can get you off by yourself, he's a roaring lion. By the way, that's how lions function. Lions like to find the one that has drifted off from the herd. They like to find that one that's a little sick or a little weak and it's and it's been left behind. But listen, they can fight great fights, but they don't like to. They like to find that weak one that's off by itself. That's the way Satan is. He likes to catch us when we're weak. He likes to catch us when we're alone. And by the way, that's what makes it so important that we try to not be alone. Did you know the flesh, the temptation of the flesh when we're discouraged or even if you ever had to deal with much depression or anything like that, you know what typically people want to do when they find themselves in those moments? They want to be alone. We saw it in the life of Elijah. Uh, Jezebel sent word and said, hey, this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you like you killed all my prophets there on Mount Carmel. And Elijah gets discouraged. He gets so discouraged, we find him laying under a tree saying, Lord, it'd be better if you'd just kill me. I'd be better if you'd just take me out of this life. That's pretty discouraged. That's pretty depressed. But you know what it says right before that in chapter 19? It says that he was traveling and he had a servant with him. He had been with him in chapter 18. He had traveled with him to chapter 19. But now Elijah is discouraged. He's dismayed. He's probably depressed. And you know what it says? It says that he tells the servant, you stay here and I'm going to go off by myself. See, that's a mistake. You know what Ecclesiastes says? Ecclesiastes says two is better than one. It says two is better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him. See, Satan's smart and he, he has studied mankind and he knows that if he can get somebody discouraged and he can get them weak and then he can get them off alone by themselves, that's often strategically when he will come with his temptations. He's strategic in his timing. I want you to see that he's stubborn in his trying. Now, when we look at this text, we always focus in on the three temptations that Satan offers to the Lord. But look at verse 2 again, if you would. It says in verse 1, Jesus is full of Holy Ghost. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness and being, look at this, being 40 days tempted of the devil. Now, we are given a glimpse of what appears to be the last three. But when you read that text, here's what you understand. It wasn't just three. No, it was the whole 40 days of Jesus on this fast. The whole 40 days, Satan's just one after another trying to get the Lord to mess up. One after another. The Bible says about Jesus, he was tempted in all points such as we are, thank God, yet without sin. We're thankful. He's the sinless son of God. But he was tempted here and Satan, listen, he tempted him and Jesus stood it. He tempted him and he withstood it. And Satan just kept, you think about that, for 40 days, he just kept coming at the Lord and kept coming at the Lord. He wouldn't give up. You know why? Because he is stubborn in his trying. That's the way the devil is. He's a patient enemy and he'll wait and he'll work in a life and we have to be careful listen that's why we must be careful not to let our guard down the Bible says that we have a shield of faith that we can use to stop the fiery darts of the wicked but you know what I see in the word of God in the word of God I see a lot of people who let down that shield as they get older 
Now, we just had a youth meeting yesterday, and I preach uh, youth meetings from time to time. And, man, we're, we're, we're tough on those youth. And we, we know that those years, it's very easy for them to get messed up and walk away from the things of God. And we have young adult ministries because we worry those are those critical years of making decisions. But I'm going to be honest with you, in the Bible, in the Bible, many of the ones that really messed up, they often did it when they were much older. Think about Noah. When Noah was younger and the whole world was wicked, he did great. And then all the temptation gets wiped away and it's just him and his family. And then the Bible says he began to be a husbandman and he got drunk. And he calls the sin of one of his sons. It was a big deal what happened. You know when that happened? When he was older. You know what I believe? I believe he was, he was on down the road and that big battle that God had in his life, that whole flood and the ark and all that, man, he was through all that. And you know what happens sometimes when we get through those big battles? We can just kind of go, whew, and we'll let down that guard thinking, oh, I'm on down the road now. The devil's not messing with me. No, he never quits. We must keep up the shield of faith. How about David? When David was just a young man, David did awesome. He fought the giant and killed him. And then as a young man, even when Saul turned against David and was trying to have him killed, David just handled all that so well. Twice he could have killed Saul and he wouldn't do it. He said, I won't put my hand on God's anointed. David handled himself so well. During all those hard years, finally he becomes the king. God begins to bless him. He's fighting battles and winning battles and God's blessing and things are going good. You know when David messed up? When he was much older. Now that almost all the battles were won and there was another one to be fought and instead of going off and fighting it, it said at a time when kings go forth to battle, he just stayed home and was up on the rooftop and that's when he sins with Bathsheba. You know when that was? Later. He probably thought, man, I've fought all my big fights. I've fought the giant. I've won all these wars. I can, I can breathe a little bit. Satan never takes time off. We've got to see the lesson here that he is stubborn in his trying. We could say the same thing about Solomon. Solomon started out wonderfully. Hey, but near the end of his life, he he multiplied to himself those wives that worship false gods. And at the end of his life, he's literally worshiping other gods. So what happened? He let down that shield of faith. He didn't keep in mind that our enemy is stubborn in his trying. But then here's where I really want to focus just for a minute. He's subtle in his tempting. Look at verse 5. We know that in the first appearance of Satan in the Garden of Eden, that the Bible said he's more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And verse 5 says, The devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world. This is that second temptation. In a moment of time, notice that last phrase, in a moment of time. Brother Judah was at our youth workers conference and he was preaching something around this and he just, he just said this in passing and it's what really was uh, the birthing place of this entire message and he pointed out that moment of time and here's what he said. He said, Satan never wants us to take a long look at what he's offering. Satan never wants us to take a long look. I was sitting in that service, we were hosting that meeting and when he said that, the Holy Spirit just began to speak to my mind. I began to think about things and and Brother Austin, you know what I thought about? I thought about sleight-of-hand magicians. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about those guys that are standing on the street and they've got a deck of cards in their hand and it's unbelievable what they can do. 
And, and they, can, they can just right in front of you with their hands. They're moving them so fast. Or maybe it's those guys, you know, that's got the little ball under the three uh, little cups. And they're, they're moving them so fast you, you can't follow it. You, and you know what I've, I've learned? I studied it just a little bit. Now, I went to preach uh, for Brother John Jenkins years ago. And, um, and he was way up in Michigan. And they had a Bible college. And there was a boy in their Bible college that before he had gotten saved and right with the Lord, that's what he did was magic tricks. He could do card tricks amazingly. He had made himself his own deck so it didn't have any weird symbols on it so that he could still play around and do it for kids and all of that. He was so good. I'm not lying. We were sitting there one night. He was showing it to me, another one of the guest preachers. He was so good. I stopped and I said, all right, listen to me, boy. I said, I'm going to have you do that again while we sing There's Power in the Blood. If you can still do it, I'll let you stay. You say, why did you do that? I was starting to think the boy had demon powers. He was so good. He was unbelievably good. He, he'd mess around and all of a sudden say, look down at your foot and the card would be under your shoe. I'm thinking, I didn't move my foot. There's something going on here. And uh, we were just like, he was that good. You know what I found out though? Many times they're doing this and it's right in front of you and then out, out of the blue, they'll, they'll reach up maybe and act like they're pulling something behind somebody's ear or they'll, they'll say, now, now look at that card you have. And in every one of them, almost there's a moment of time where there's a distracting look. They offer you a distraction. Well, look right here. And while, they're, while you're doing that, they're hiding the truth of what's going on in that other hand. Sometimes they'll literally drop something into their lap. But you don't see it because they just drew your attention right over here. You see, that's what Satan does. Look at me. Satan's the master at showing it to you in a moment of time. And he just shows you a snapshot uh, and it looks so good in the moment. I mean, you think about right here, he says that he showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world from a, from a mountaintop, if you will. Back to, so, so here's what he's seeing. He's just seeing like a cityscape in the distance. Now, those look awesome, don't they? People take pictures of those and, and they'll sell them and people will paint pictures of, of their cities and of their kingdoms with the palaces and all those things. And that's what he does. He just, in a moment, he goes, look at this. And he just shows, by the way, you know what he didn't do? He didn't go down in the depths of those cities where the strugglers are, where some people are who maybe their life is not, uh, not going well and where there's poverty and where there's sadness and where there's sickness. He didn't go down to the leper colony. Oh no, the, Satan don't want you to look with that kind of detail. See, he just wants to give you a snapshot in a moment of time as he did the Lord right here. I began to think on that and I thought, boy, isn't that how it goes? They move everything so quickly in front of you. They use distractionary tactics that you look away for a split second and you don't see the truth. You say, what, what are you saying, preacher? I mean, it goes like this. No man would ever leave his wife and run off with some wicked lady if he took a serious, honest, long look at where that road would lead him. And what it would do to his family. I've got a situation in our church right now. A young couple, two little children. And she's making, the wife is making some bad decisions. You know why she's doing it? She's doing it off of a snapshot. I'm just not happy. And if I do this, I'll be happy. You know what? She's not, she's not taking a long look at what this is going to do to those babies. See? Because Satan don't want you to take a long look. It goes like this. See, uh, nobody would ever, they would never, they would never sniff that first line of drugs. They'd never take the first hit if they could take a serious, long, honest look 
at where it might take them in their life, at what it might do to those that love them, at what it might do to their mind. Oh, we've got some, sadly, that walk the streets of our little town. And you can just see that they have, they have ravaged their mind with drugs. They cannot hold a conversation with you. And, and it's pitiful. It's heartbreaking. But listen to me. When they first took the first drug, they did not see that. You know why? Because Satan don't show you that. No. No teenager would ever take that first look at a pornographic image. If they could see, if they could take a long, serious, hard look at what it might do in their mind, what it might do in their heart, what it might do in their future relationships. As we counsel with people who in their marriage now struggle with things like that. See, they'd never, they'd never take the first one, but that's not what Satan shows, see. His is in a moment of time. Hey, you're not happy? Look at this. You could be happy. Maybe he shows somebody else. Oh, I wish my life was like hers. He's not showing you everything. Because that's not how he works. We learn that from the word of God. Now, this devilish tactic becomes uh, very strong in our life. And it, and it makes the word of God of supreme importance. Because this is how the devil works, it makes the word of God of supreme importance in our lives. We see right here the three temptations that they do show us in this text. Do you know how the Lord handles each of them? He handles each one with a verse from the Word of God, from the book of Deuteronomy. It is written, it is said. He, he just starts using, now listen, how many of you know that, that Jesus, we've been singing about it all morning, He's all powerful. He said all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. How many of you know He could have just said, Satan, you need to go, and Satan would have had to go. How many of you know that? Raise your hand if you understand that. I live in the country. I grew up in the hills of Kentucky. Now I live in the foothills of the mountains, North Carolina. So uh, in Kentucky, they'd call me a hillbilly. I don't know if y'all know that word. And now they call me, uh, you know, mountain folk. They call us hat. country. I'm country. So in the country, sometimes if there was a, an animal that come up on your property that wasn't your animal, maybe it wasn't your dog or it was messing with your animals or whatever, you know what you'd do? You'd say, get. Y'all ever heard that? Y'all know get around here? Here. Sometimes you don't even say a word. Just make a sound. Yeah, get. And it has to go. You just, do you know that Jesus could have just done that right here? How many of you know on day one of these 40 days, he could have just looked at Satan and jerked his head a little bit and Satan would have had to run away. Hey, Satan knows who Jesus is. He understands. You say, then why did the Lord allow it? And why did he write? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was showing us some things about how Satan works so that we might know it, so that we don't have to be ignorant of his devices and not let him have an advantage over us. And then the Lord was showing us how we, he could have handled it any number of ways, but he was showing us how we can handle the temptation. And that is the word of God becomes vitally important. So that when Satan shows me a snapshot and I begin to process what's going on, I need immediately then to have the word of God to give me the truth about what he just showed me. See, Jesus used those three, three scriptures. It goes like this. Satan uh, offers you some temptation in your life and, and some flashy picture to try to get you to transgress against the laws of God. But then all of a sudden, maybe in your mind and in your heart, the scripture that you have hidden or perhaps in your reading or in the message from the preacher, you start hearing things like this. Proverbs 13, 15 says, the way of the transgressor is hard. I believe we make a mistake when we talk about how hard it is to live for God. No, that's not what the Bible says. 45 times it uses the word hard. It's never once talking about living for Jesus. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, for my yoke is easy. 
Now, I know we got burdens, we have troubles and trials, but listen, so do the lost world. They don't have Jesus in the middle of all those. That's the difference. And so he said the way of the transgressor is hard. Just recently, I read Psalms 37. In verse 37 38, it says, Mark the perfect man and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. Now look at that comparison. He said that the, the upright shall have peace. See, it's not that we won't have troubles and tribulation. I quoted it the other night. Jesus said, in this life ye shall have tribulation. That's everybody. It's not that we won't have tribulation. It's that he has the ability to give us what the Bible calls peace that passeth understanding. He has the ability to give us peace even when our life seems to be falling apart. Haven't you ever seen Christians do that? Haven't you ever watched them go through terrible troubles and trials and somehow they still have joy? Somehow they still have peace? You know what that is. That's Jesus. That's the Word of God. And He says right here that that's how it goes with the upright. But then in comparison, He says, oh, but the wicked. He said, but the wicked. He said, theirs is going to be rough. Satan lied to the wicked. Satan deceived the wicked. Satan tricked him. This is the first time the word transgressors, plural, is used in your Bible. And it kind of sets a pattern for that word throughout. The way of the transgressors is hard. The transgressors shall be destroyed together and all of those things. Proverbs 2.22, but the wicked shall be cut off from the earth and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of the transgressors shall destroy them. Hosea declared this, the ways of the Lord are right and the just shall walk in them, but transgressors shall fall therein. You know, many times, young people in particular, but even some of us adults, sometimes we get tricked by this world's beauty. And we look out at some of the ones, and Brother Austin mentioned it this morning as the, uh, Brother Joey had talked about that sometimes the Hollywood crowd and all of their wealth and their fame and their beauty, and sometimes the professional athlete crowd and, and, and their mansions and all of their money and all that stuff. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we can, we can see that little snapshot, that little moment of time of their life, which by the way, they don't show you everything. It's very controlled what you're going to get to see about the entire life of those people. It's very, it's very decided what's going to be allowed to get out to the public most of the time. But we can even get deceived in thinking, boy, if I had their money, I wouldn't have any problems. Though if I had their life, I wouldn't have any problems. I thought about Tom Brady. I don't know how well known he is up here. Where I live, we hate Tom Brady. Just so you know, he's the quarterback, used to be for the New England Patriots for years. He's won seven or eight uh, NFL uh, championships. And I was always a Peyton Manning fan from the Indianapolis Colts. And we always lost to Tom Brady. So the way it works is if the guy beats you all the time, you don't like him. Is that how it works in hockey world too? I know we're up here in hockey world, right? Y'all got some players for the other team that you really don't like? Will we just confess that this morning? All right, you can get it out of your heart later. I don't know that I hate him, but I dislike him greatly, okay? Tom Brady is considered the greatest of all time. That's, that's the level he's achieved. He's married to, until recently, a supermodel. Literally, the, the highest paid supermodel in the world. Her name is Giselle. He's worth 300 and something million. She's worth more. Together, their, their worth is over a billion now. They're both considered beautiful, handsome. They've no doubt both been on the cover of People magazine's most beautiful people. And so they have, on the surface, what everybody would look at and say, man, they've got it. Fame, fortune, beauty, 
Boy, their life must be, it must be just like, uh, you know, a vacation every day. Except just recently, we've been given a glimpse to the inside. As he had to leave preseason training to take care of personal problems. And they asked him about it, and he was very frustrated behind the podium, and he, he used a cuss word to describe his life right then. He said, I, I got a lot of stuff going on, and he, he cussed, and he had to leave. He'd never done that before in all of his career, never left training camp before. And now it's come out that they, they have fully divorced. Now, you know what that means? And, I, and now look, we got divorced folks in our church, and we love them and, and, and thank the Lord for how He can bless after such a thing. But we do know that's not a good thing, right? And I think about Tom. I've been away from my family here for a couple days to be here. And uh, I, I call my wife, and her name's Becca, but I call her Honeysuckle. And, uh, and, and so I call her, and, and the preacher likes that. He, he says, you're going to call Honeysuckle? And I say, yeah, I'm about to. And uh, as soon as I, she, I tell him, I said, she's missing me real bad. I can tell it. I can feel it. She's missing me. And I've got my children, and I'll call, and I'll say, how's he doing? How's he doing? How's she doing? And I'm checking on them all, and, and I'm looking forward to getting back to be with my family. But you know, Tom, with all of his money all of his fame, with all of his fortune, with all that he's ever achieved, there are going to be some nights right now that no matter all of that, he can't go hug his children. wonder what he'd give for that. See what I'm telling you? And there's nothing wrong with him being famous. There's nothing wrong with him being wealthy. That may have been the plan of God for his life. That's fine. But I'm telling you, those things are not the answer to happiness. And many people see the snapshot that Satan puts out in front and they start believing. But listen, that's not where the answer is. You know where the answer is? It's the, it's the one who will give their life to Jesus. So we have to learn that Satan has this ability. And I don't know who's going to come to the piano. If they'll go ahead and come, we'll be at our close here in just a minute. And so what I'm telling you is that before, before you buy into some flash temptation, before you look at it and start considering uh, going away from the things of God, you need to stop and realize that Satan uh, will never show you the whole thing. You need to stop and take a long look. You need to ask God to use His Word to give you the long look. Take the Word of God and say, Lord, let me open my eyes. Jesus regularly opened the eyes of the blind. Spiritual blindness all through the New Testament. It talks about the lost, that they are blind. But it also talks about saved people. How sometimes even saved people get blinded. You know what happens? We get tricked by the devil. Now the good news is this. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Oh yes. Listen, Jesus said all power was given to him. And Satan is no match for the one that lives in your soul. But he is a match for us. So it becomes vitally important that we have the Word of God applied in our life. It becomes vitally important that I stay up close to the shepherd because I'm no match for a roaring lion, but the good shepherd is. He can handle him, but I need to stay up close. I don't need to be tricked by a moment of time flash temptation. Hey, listen to some more good news. There hath no temptation. Now think about that. No, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You know what that means? That means you're not the first one to ever face this. Now sometimes we think that, don't we? Sometimes we think, boy, nobody's been through what I'm going through. Hey, but this verse and that word temptation is not always to sin. Sometimes it's a trial. Sometimes it's a tribulation. Hey, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. That means that God, listen to me, God has helped somebody else get through what you're going through. He knows how. 
There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Hey, listen, thank God for that phrase right there. Hey, Satan is subtle. Satan is tricky. He is powerful, but listen, he's not as powerful as our Lord. And our God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted. Above that ye are able, but will also, with the temptation, make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. I'm thankful that Satan does not have a trap so strong that you cannot avoid it if you'll let the Lord help you. But we do need to know that that's how he works. And we do need to stay up close to Jesus in these last days. Knowing, listen, brethren, ye which are spiritual, you talk about, you you see a, a brother overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. All of us need to understand that we're no match for the devil. We need to keep that shield of faith up. Stay close to Jesus, who is that one true and living God. And understand that when Satan lays a temptation out in front of us, it's never the whole picture. Take a long look before you make decisions. Take a long look into the Word of God and let it show you the end. You know, in the book of Job, there's a, there's a beautiful truth right at the very beginning. And that is this, that the Bible says Job had adult children. Adult children. Already married, had their own homes. And it says that Job prayed and he even sacrificed for them. He said that he sacrificed for them because he said it could be, could be that one of my sons has cursed God and not repented. Now, you wouldn't think that, I don't believe, unless you were a little worried about at least one of those sons. So he said, I'm going to sacrifice for him. I'm going to ask God to forgive him. And listen to what the Bible says. It says that there was a hedge of protection around Job. Hey, listen, not just Job. It was all the way around his adult children. Satan couldn't get to any of them because Job had been saying, Oh God, protect our children. They're grown. He's still saying, Oh God. I guarantee the preacher uh, and, and uh, Mrs. Preacher, sorry, I forgot your name there for a second. Sister, oh, it's terrible. I'm never coming back. Great. So I'm sorry, so sorry. I'll just say sister. How about that? Will that work? I guarantee you there are times that he gets on your mind because he's not here. And you just say, oh, Lord, take care of him. Lord, protect him. Aren't we glad we can do that? And in that text, it did. Until the Lord got into that battle with Satan and allowed the hedge to be shrunk, Satan couldn't even put his hand on those adult children. You say, what do you want us to do today, preacher? Here's what I want us to do. I just want us to pray and ask God to protect us and our families from the devil. We can thank God that he's real and that he's powerful and that he's more powerful than Satan, but we ought to ask God to protect us and our children from his temptations. And then we need to recommit ourselves to the word of God. Let's all stand. And if you want to come and do that, why don't we come and say, oh God, put a hedge around our family. Why don't you come and say, oh God, put a hedge around my grandchildren. How about this one? Don't you know Satan after 90 years would love to destroy this place? Don't you know he would love for this church to be another one of those stories of a good church that got tore up by pride, got tore up by sin? Why don't we come as a church and say, Lord, protect our church from Satan. Plead the blood of Jesus on your mind and on your life. And listen to me now, if you're here this morning 
and you don't know for sure that you've ever been saved. That means that you don't know of a time in your life when you specifically yourself prayed to ask the Lord to forgive you of those sins and to save you. You need to know that heaven is real and hell is real. And if you die without being born again, you will have to spend eternity in hell in the lake of fire. But Jesus, as we heard this morning, made the ultimate sacrifice so that you didn't have to do that. We'd love to take the Bible and tell you what it means. You can come now. You can come after the service. Speak to the preacher. Speak to anybody from the church here. And they can tell you. Some are praying. How about you? Do you have an adult child you're worried about a little bit? Why don't you come and ask God to put a hedge around them? You say, well, I can do that in my seat. And you're right. You can. But there's something about humbling yourself before God and man. As if to say to God, I need your help and I don't care what anybody thinks. And just slip out. Some are at the altar. How about you while she's playing? Would you come? Tell the Lord, Lord, protect us. Keep us. Shelter us. Oh, thank God for a living Savior that hears us when we pray, sees us in our life. I believe protects us at times we don't even know it. But we need to be close. We need to be in the Word of God. So that when that flash picture is put in front of us, we can think long term. We can think of what the Bible says about those temptations and know it. Preacher, you come.